Hi, Stephanie here. I am an entrepreneur, lobbyist, wife, mother, book lover, and political junkie. I think gender equality is still a work in progress in our homes, our workplaces, and our politics. And I love to learn, especially from other women. So I started Women Don't Do That, a podcast and blog to talk about issues women care about today and to inspire us to do whatever it is we think we can't do. Welcome to Women Don't Do That. Our guest today is Emily Chung, a licensed automotive service technician and owner of Auto Nation Markham. She's a mother of two boys, an automotive writer, and a teacher at Georgian College. Emily is passionate about empowering women in the automotive industry and bringing better communication and client services to the auto repair experience. Join us as we chat with Emily about her career, her business, and her advice for women pursuing their passions. Welcome, Emily. Hi, nice to be here. I'm so happy to have you. What does life look like for you right now? Um, so life is busy. It is full. Um, so I do run an auto repair shop in Markham and we've been in business for over 14 years now. Um, so part of my role is to obviously manage the operational side of things um, for this business. And then aside from the shop, I also teach at Georgian College in the Automotive Business School. So I'm a professor there. I am speaking with a lot of high school students about entering the skilled trades. So I will um, have conversations with them as well. Um, and I'm also an automotive writer and uh, busy also raising two teenage boys. Yes, it's a very, very full life. I'm yes. curious, when you talk about your teaching and the different roles that you play, are you seeing more girls being interested in the automotive? Um, when I speak with high school students, I do see a little bit more interest. Um, I think for our industry, it's a little bit of um, a challenge to even get um, young people interested in general, whether they are male or female. Right. Um, I definitely think that there are more females coming in because, uh, you know, when I speak to them in high school, I see a lot more of them in tech classes. Yes. And so I definitely think the conversation is there um, in terms of, you know, trade school. Um, and then also in my uh, at the college level, I do see more. Yes. And I have always said, though, that, you know, our primary goal, as much as we want to encourage women in the trades, our primary goal is not focused on that. Right. We want skilled people, you know, at the end of the day. And I tell my students this all the time. Remember, clients come to me because they want their car fixed. They don't pay me because of what I happen to identify with that day or what gender I am that day or even what ethnicity they want the car fixed. And so, yes. you know, as much as we put the emphasis there, I'm always about encouraging anybody who has the potential to be successful in this trade to come for to come through. Yes, absolutely. You'll appreciate this story as you're talking, you're, you're peaking my memory. Uh, I grew up with a dad who fixed cars. He taught the robotics program at Algonquin was the coordinator of that program uh, in Ottawa. And when I turned 16, he gave me a car, but the caveat was that I had to help him replace the engine, which I did. And I could not do that on my own now. Um, but I am comfortable doing some little things. So thanks to dad for teaching me some life skills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, a lot of it is just getting your, um, hands-on experience in there, you know? So at my place, um, any employee whose kids are 10 years or older, they come and do the tires with us on their own cars, of course. Uh, but they will start, you know, um, changing over the tires, balancing them and installing them. And we're not saying they're, they're going to become technicians, that there is a lot of value to 
getting hands-on and to be able to physically create something or do something. Um, because a lot of, I find that a lot of our education is um, cerebral, right? And a lot of the roles out there are kind of all in your head and you you have to map out, you know, strategies, procedures, and you write up your reports and all this stuff. But that's not nearly the same as being able to physically create what you have planned in your mm -hmm. head, mm -hmm. you know? And so there's definitely um, a sense of like uh, accomplishment that's different, um, even, you know, in something like the skilled trades, whether you are becoming a full-fledged tradesperson or you're just doing it because you have some interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's such important skills. I find for myself, like, growing up with very hands on parents, we built our own houses, we heated our house with wood, and we were always piling wood, um, that I actually like doing that kind of stuff. I live in the city now. And uh, when I have to bring the wood around back to the fireplace, I'm like, Oh, I, I like doing this. Like I miss being physical and, and doing some of those things. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure Which it brings is, back like memories for you too, right? Of yes. your childhood. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We used to make like forts in the, <laughs> in the wood. It's so funny because when I look back, you know, growing up in uh, the country, I, I was showing my girls some pictures of like where I used to play, which was like literally with like sticks and rocks and rags. And I would make this like outdoor house with stones and stuff. And they were like, that's kind of pathetic. I'm like, it was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. It to be so creative and a lot of fun. Yes. What motivates you to live your best life? Um, for me, it's um, I have really a strong faith, and so I'm Christian, and that really does um, center me. You know, really does ground me. Um, so for me, primarily, it is my faith, and I think it is important for um, people to have that grounding, whatever it may be for them, because there's so many things in our life now that can just swing us, you know, one way or the other. Yes. There's so many distractions, and it's easy to sort of forget who you are and why you're doing things, you know. So yeah, so for me personally, it is my faith. Yes, that's very interesting. I I have a faith background as well too, and I find for me one of the things that was really instilled in church or, or as a child is service to others. And I think in so many things that I do, like with the podcast and others, it's all about like helping people and serving them. And you can see it through different parts of your life, right? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. What inspired you to pursue a career in automotive, and how did you get started? I actually graduated from the University of Waterloo uh, in psychology business. I became a psychometrist. And so that was, you know, I would have patients five hours at a time and I would test them for any multitude of things. So neuroticism, depression and aptitude, intelligence, all that. So I did that for a bit, missed the business side of things, you know, moved into a different role. Um, eventually got to my father's business as a fam as a project manager and uh, he sells auto parts wholesale. So mm. a lot of times when I say this, people are like, oh, well then of course, you know, you, you know, you've been on automotive and I'm, I always tell them, you know what, he could have been selling a water bottle for all yes. of you. Like yes. I knew the product, like I knew <laughs> yes. how to make it, how to ship it, what it looked like, what to price it, but I didn't know like the technical aspect of it. And um when I was on mat leave with my second one, so I have two um, teenage boys now. And anyways, when my younger one was um, three months old, I decided to go to Centennial College and do a pre-apprenticeship program. And at the time, I just felt like I wanted to learn a little bit more about my car. Um, I thought maybe if I got more automotive experience, it would help me in my role with him. Um, and so I did that. And um, so I remember, you know, going through trade school and waking up my younger one at five in the morning, nursing him, going mm -hmm. to trade school for seven. And in between shop class, I would run to the other side of Centennial, pump milk, store milk there, run back to the classes, you know, and I would do this for a few months at a time. 
Um, and then of course I had my, my older one too. So for me, I, and then in the end I placed really well in the class. So I placed first in engines. I got second overall. I was one of three women in a class of 40. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was also one of the older ones because this is now my second career. Right. Right. And so, um, all that meant to me was that I could, I, I had an aptitude for automotive and um, that I really, you know, could manage different workloads, right? Um, and so at the time too, is when I became a Christian and I really felt like God was calling me to open up a repair shop. So at that moment, I decided, you know what, I'm going to step in faith. And I had one conversation with my dad. You'll have to ask him what he really thought. But he, my dad is a great poker face. But uh, <laughs> I, I went in and I asked him, I said, okay, I'm not coming back after Matt leave. I'm going to learn how to fix cars. I'm going to start my own auto repair business. And my cousin was working for him at the time. And I was like, yep, she's going to come with me and she's going to be my service advisor. <laughs> and uh, that was over 14 years ago. So <laughs> congratulations. Yeah. So it wasn't, I always tell students that, you know what, my career path it was not linear, right? It's not no, straight. I, yes. Yeah. I think that's such a fallacy, right? That, that it is often, it isn't always linear. Like you're correct. Yeah, it, it, it isn't it, always. Yeah. Yeah. And if it, and this is the other thing is that if it is for whoever's listening, for the students that I speak with, if you do have that linear path, that is also fantastic. Yes. Like, it's not to say that, uh, you know, we get extra bonus points for it being windy, no, right? No. It's just that for some, some people, it doesn't always look straightforward. And for others, it may very well be. And, you know, mm -hmm. there's, it's not good or bad, not, not right or wrong. It just, you know, people's lives play out differently. It's interesting what you were saying about your dad. It makes me think about my daughter for International Women's Day. I interviewed her and one of her friends for the podcast. And one of the things I asked them is like, what do you think about like, what do you want to do in your future? And uh, she said, maybe open a cosmetics company. But then one of her other reasons, she said, I want to be maybe an engineer because my dad is an engineer and he travels, you know, speaking about your dad. And I kind of laughed and I yeah. said, uh, not all engineers travel. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> and like it, it's just his particular job, but like none of his other jobs that he right. Well, yeah. Anyways, it was kind of funny. I thought that was cute. You know, you kind of get these yeah. perceptions of, of totally maybe what we think things are. But yeah, I was struck even like reading about you ahead of time about all the different things that you were doing while you were um trying to go to school, right? And like you had young kids and. What advice do you have for women who really are juggling a lot of things, but like trying to pursue their passions? For me, it really is about, okay, what am I committed to? And what am I willing to let go? Because mm. as much as I say, you know what, I pumped milk and I started my own, did all this, you know what, I was really committed to that. And I will tell you that, um, and I'm not saying the way I did it is the right way. It's just the right way for me. Right. So when I went to trade school, here's here's what really happened. I would go in and I would, you know, pump milk and all this stuff. And then uh, what happened was sometimes I would run back late because uh, obviously like I'm running across these tunnels trying to get back to class and I would miss pop quizzes uh, in the class. And I could... I could have asked for an exception, right? I could have asked to write them um, and I chose not to um, in part because I knew that I was committed to the one thing. And if it meant that it cost me a few percentage points, then, okay, that's a price that I'm willing to pay. The other reason why I didn't want to ask for the exception is because I did not want to give the impression that um, I was different or special or anything else than anybody else. Right. You know, and I think that helped me get, um, you know, credibility and build rapport with 
with my peers. I'm not saying that if I did do that, that they would have judged me any differently. I just think that for me, I wasn't led to do that. Right. And so a lot of times it's about picking the battles that you, that you want to win. Right. And right. I feel like sometimes we try to win every one of them yes. and it's just not the right way to, to, it may not be the best way in the long term to do things. Mm-hmm. You know? So for me, I think it's the wisdom to to discern. Okay, what what really am I going to to commit to? What really am I going to let go of? And what what can I actually do? The other piece that I would say too is I'm I'm a firm believer of you know this and this. So if I want to choose this, I can also choose that. It's never in my mind this or that. Right. You know? And so looking for moments where I can do both has always been you know I guess how I could even do all of the stuff that I do. You know. When you were saying at the beginning, um, let me be honest about it for a second. I thought you were going to be like, I cried a lot. (laughs) Oh, I definitely cried a lot. (laughs) 100%. (laughs) I did. I did. But I think just as a mom, like, yes, you know, the right is a completely normal behavior for 100%. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, my goodness. When you talked about having this background, like, and not being linear, right? Like in psychology and, and in business. And how how do you think these different skill sets that you have work together? Or how did that background in psychology, like how does that help you in your business today? A lot. Um, I get asked all the time, like, oh, do I regret, right? Do I regret going to university? Like, could I just have gone straight to the um, to the path of becoming an apprentice? And honestly, I, I made the best decision with the information I had at the time. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, it's always about, okay, well, given that I'm not, you know, in psychology anymore, per se, as a psychometrist, you know, how can I use those skills to, to apply them here? So I intentionally look for how to apply what I previously learned in, in the moment now. So right. in terms of when I was, so actually, after the psychology piece, I moved into become an HR associate. Well, now in my role, yes, as a shop owner, I'm like constantly into like HR stuff, right? Yes. In terms of psychology, it does apply a lot in my business when I deal with my staff, when I deal with clients, like we use a lot of psychological um, principles in how we handle clients as well, you mm-hmm. know, and so it's not ever, it, time is never wasted unless unless we actually waste it. Right. Right. So uh, for me, it really was about applying what I learned before and, and being intentional about it. And I always joke too, that like cars, people are like cars, right? You know, people will give you certain symptoms and then there's like a whole whack of variations as to like why these symptoms are coming up and Mm -hmm. cars are the same way. They'll produce a certain symptom. We got to start chasing down, you know, what might be happening with this vehicle. Uh, I just always joke that cars never talk back. And so they're way more straightforward (laughs) to deal with. (laughs) So, yeah. When you, when you say psychometrist, I don't think I've heard that before. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So people have heard of psychologists and psychiatrists. Yes. And so that's the more common ones. A psychometrist is a person who does all the testing. And okay. so we would, like I said, you know, I would have a patient with me five hours at a time and I would go through test after test with them, testing on different measures. And, uh, you know, I'd give them blocks to, to manipulate, to, to show me a shape. I would time them, um, get them to answer questions about their depression and, and sort of see where they range on the scale. And um, that's what a psychometrist does. And we, we analyze the data and then we would make our recommendations. And it was a really humbling experience for me. Um, I think back to the, you had asked me before what motivates me. And I think at that time, no, I didn't have my faith at that time, but um, 
I would be testing some patients that are from um, ODSP, so that's the Ontario Disability Support Program. And they, I remember many times sitting across from somebody who's the same age as me, and they're diagnosed with mild intellectual delay. They could only function at like a six-year-old level for you know a, a long part of their life. And so I really felt convicted at that time that, you know what, we're born in the same year mm -hmm. and we our lives just took two totally different paths. And I really have no excuse to not make something of my life. So right. that was a very humbling experience for sure. Mm-hmm. Being a woman in a male-dominated experience or field, have you found that you faced barriers because of that? Um, I would be lying if I said I didn't. And uh, <laughs> yes, I and, too work in a male-dominated industry. <laughs> yes, at the same time, it's about perspective, and yes. my mindset is: um, even if I was a male in a male-dominated industry, I would still have barriers. Uh, it just yeah. is a different mindset. So of course I did. Of course, <laughs> I had all of the stereotypical things that you could possibly think of yeah. happen. And yes. I think that really my thought on the whole thing um, just changed how how I reacted to them. Right. You know, so when I went into the trade, I made a decision for myself. I wasn't going to change anybody's mind as to whether or not I should be there. And so and also I made it a point that it was never about my gender. Right. Um, and that it was never about, you know, if I could do something or not because of my body parts. Right. So um, when I got that uh, feedback or the challenge or the barrier, all this stuff, it was just one more thing of, OK, like this, I get to figure this out, you mm -hmm. know, and the so problem to be solved problem to be or solved ignored, the, something to be ignored. <laughs> yeah, 100 percent. And that's yeah. a solution in and of itself. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's been it has been quite the journey to to navigate through that. Um and I think sometimes people feel like there shouldn't be any barriers and challenges, you know, right. right. Oh, we're 2023 now. Like, how could this be? And I'm thinking, but like, we're human, mm -hmm. like this mm -hmm. is going to happen. People are going to say and do crazy things that I have no control over. Yes. What... And the only person I can control is myself. Right. Yes. One of the things I find very interesting is it matters so much on like your life experience or your career. Like I've worked with people uh, who let's say work in communications and maybe work for a not-for-profit and like they haven't had those kinds of barriers in terms of working in a male-dominated field or or women not being considered for promotions um, I'm sure they've had other barriers like you said right like there's always different things yeah. um, but their experience can be so different than like let's say a woman on the oil field right like it's yeah. it's really really different and so sometimes when we think like oh like um, it's so different for women today. And like, yes, things have improved, but depending on where you work and your life experience, it, it can look very different even in places like Canada. Yeah. And I do think too, that it's important for us to separate the gender from the behavior hmm. because this idea that, you know, I don't love the conversation when it goes to, oh, well, like they're just, they're guys. This is why they're mm -hmm. like this. Right. No, no. That's yes. a person that is not sensitive, that is completely ignorant. And that's, and it's not because of their body parts. It's, and is choosing you know, that behavior. You choose right. what you yeah. say. <laughs> because I do find that a lot of times the conversation, um, it's almost like we're, we're putting forward uh, women and 
and pushing men down. And that's not what it's about. That's not what equality looks like to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it is about honoring those that have walked had a lot of this journey for us to be able to teach us, you know. Right. And so for me, when the language gets to be, you know, a little bit into that field, it's just to me, it's not um, that's not what I'm about anyway. Right. Can you speak to us a little bit about starting your business and what what that was like? Did you have, you know, things you need to learn or things you had to overcome to do that? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Lots. (laughs) You know, starting a business is also being an entrepreneur is also a very challenging uh, Mm -hmm. role. And I started with zero customers. Like I did not buy a franchise. I did not, you know, buy somebody else's business. Um, and you know, the barriers to, to that are more internal. Mm-hmm. Like I find that for an entrepreneur, a lot of times we struggle more about our value mm-hmm. and our worth and how much, what am I really doing? And is this really the right way? And it gets yes. to be a little bit, um, lonely, right? Yes. If mm-hmm. you don't intentionally stay connected. And I think too, that as an entrepreneur, as a startup of like a brick and mortar place, it is a different challenge as well versus somebody who is, you know, working from home, self-employed, you know, now I have employee (laughs) employee over it. And this is the thing is that you will have different challenges on your own, right? Just because it's a different style of business. And so, but even um, I've thought about that before, like starting my business was so low risk, right? Like you buy a computer, you get going, um, I, I work in public affairs and yeah. I'm my own company, but you know, when I think about you or like somebody selling clothing, like the amount of effort and money you have to put in to even kind of get proof of concept is completely yes. different. Yes. And, uh, you know, I think back now, you know, 14 years ago and starting with, like I said, no customers to where we are today is like, it's a blessing. Um, and it really was one step at a time. Yes. So in the moment when you start the business, it is a lot of, okay, like one day at a time, one customer at a time, you know, that kind of slow, you're just trying to build the momentum at that point. Right. Yes. Um, so yeah, so it definitely was challenging in that area. Um, I will say this, that one of the things that surprised me the most was um, the, as much funding as there is available for female entrepreneurs and startups and all this stuff, I was very surprised um, that there wasn't, I don't know, I, I guess maybe auto repair just isn't like quote unquote sexy enough mm-hmm. when they think of tech, when they think of, um, you know, things to invest in, they really are not thinking about skilled trades. Right. And to me, that is something that uh, I'm hoping will change in the future because we will, we have a significant labor shortage. Yes. And, you know, I really would love to see uh, more done for the trades. Mm-hmm. Here's a personal question for you while I get some business advice. <laughs> I'm at the stage of like leveling, leveling up. I'm very tired because I'm working very hard. Um, But I all, so as an entrepreneur, do you find that happens in stages where you're like, or are you always just like batting 120 because that's what you have to do as an entrepreneur? I don't know if it's something that you have to do. Um, I think that an entrepreneur naturally mm-hmm. has that tendency. I, I feel like I can't stop myself. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if it's so much that we have to do it as much as that's just how we're wired. Right. And I think for me, um, I think like you can already tell that I, I do go at the 120. 
And uh, for me, my journey has been more about being intentional to take the time to come down. Right. And in terms of leveling up, it's sort of that that mindset of, well, if you you kind of feel like you don't want to let the, it go, because like what happens if you turn it down and then it just, you know, it doesn't come back up. Right. Um, but I think for me, it is the wisdom to know, OK, when is the right timing for that? Because it is important to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, that's good advice. I need to think about that. I, I am taking a week off next week. So maybe that's the start to like, <laughs> you know what? I'll, I just keep telling myself, I just have to make it to Monday when I get on a plane. <laughs> yeah, put it exactly. <laughs> you know what? I used to think of my life like a uh, video game checkpoints, you know, you'd hit like the checkpoint and like reset and then, okay. And then I just yes. need to get to this and then just need to get to this. Yes. Um, when I was first starting the business, like earlier on, actually, I would take uh, quarterly retreats. And so every quarter mm-hmm. I would, I would go away for one or two nights and I would go, it had, it had to be over two hours away from here because I learned my lesson that if I stayed too close to home, yes. I would just be so distracted to come back. Right. And so those quarterly retreats for me was a time to um, be away from the business and to plan what I wanted in the next quarter. Mm, yes. Um, so it was about being intentional and having that in my calendar cannot be moved. Yes. It's <laughs> so. a good piece of advice for sure. What advice would you give to other women who maybe are interested in working in the automotive industry or starting their own business? Um, uh, advice would be, Number one, to expect the challenges. Um, when I was driving down to Centennial College, uh, so I'll tell you, I, so I live in Markham. Centennial College is probably 20, no, about 30, 40 minutes. Every morning, every morning on the drive down, I would I would think about the most, I, I don't know, you might think I'm crazy. Anyways, I would think of the most uh, racist and sexist and ageist and anything, any kind of comment that somebody could give me. And then I would play out what my reactions would be. Mm-hmm. I would either, I'd so in my head, I'd be like, this person says this. Okay, go. What are my options? Number one, I could, you know, walk away. Number two, I could give them whatever <laughs> my two cents. Number three, I could report them to who knows what. Number four, I could, you know, become physical. Number five, like I would just run through all of these options that I had. Um, and when the time came, because the time will come, right, mm-hmm. then I was better able to respond yes. because I had already thought through. And in my mind, it was no longer a huge surprise. Yeah. And um, for me, it's just about being prepared. You know, how many mm-hmm. times do we get into, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you where you get into, I don't know, an argument and you leave and you're like, oh, I should have said this. Yes. Like, yes. I should have done this, you know. Yes. And uh, so for me. You know, it is about being prepared for the challenges, mm-hmm. whatever they might look like. I think it is an interesting perspective to take because I have to say there have definitely been times where things have been said to me and I'm so shocked, shocked that I'm literally speechless. Yeah. And then afterwards, you know, you think, oh, I should have said this or I should have said this. And given the type of work that you do, like those things will be said to you, right? And so yeah. trying to think about um how you would respond in a way that you want to right like if you want to be intentional about it you do need to to try and think about it for sure yeah and like I said I can't control what people are going to say the only thing I can control (laughs) is my reaction right so yeah the other thing I will say this too and I talk to my students about this a lot is that when people say something like to you it's more a reflection of them than it is of you Mm -hmm. and so when I get feedback like you know, oh, you don't look like a tech or, you know, all this stuff. But okay, to me, that means that they're revealing 
that in their experience, a technician doesn't look like me, right? And it doesn't have, it doesn't actually mean anything about me. It's more about their experience. Yes. And I don't, I don't mean like ignorant comments, of course. I mean, people who genuinely are surprised or genuinely say things just because, you know, they, they don't have that filter. And um, for me, it's about having grace in the situation to understand that, okay, you know what, if they've seen if in their experience, they've only had a technician look a certain way, behave a certain way, you know, do certain things, then obviously they're going to be surprised when they see me. Right. So again, it's about separating people's comments from who I am and why I'm here. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was a big learning uh, curve for me as well. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's really important. What are some of the long-term goals you have for your company, Auto Niche, and how do you see your business evolving in the coming years? Um, our business is changing rapidly because of the EVs. Um, I personally don't think that the electric vehicles are going to be the end of the story. I think there's going to be a lot of other technology coming through. Right. So for us as technicians- Just the beginning. <laughs> it is just the beginning. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and uh, I think for us, it's staying on top of training. Um, aside from the shop and everything else I said that I was doing, um, I all, am also on the board of directors for an organization called Arrow, and they represent aftermarket repair shops in Ontario. And we really are trying to um, get more uh, movement on the right to repair issue, which is that manufacturers don't release information to aftermarket shops. And so for me, it's a lot of that piece that needs to move forward because, again, how do I train um, somebody to become a technician if I don't have the information to do that? Then how do I fix somebody's car if I don't have the information to do that? Mm -hmm. You know, Sounds, Emily, like you need a lobbyist. Yeah. <laughs> totally. The for us that would be the piece in the industry um and for the shop itself it would be just to continue growing mm-hmm. you know and moving into that technology. Right. So I recently got uh, approval as a Tesla shop so that's great. That's exciting. Yes, that's exciting and then so then that means now we get to figure out like the learning stuff that we need to do with these cars, right? And so yes. yeah, I'm always about um, you know, learning and improving and I hire people that want to continue to be better, right? Learn different things. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really important because I think in today's day and age, not even in auto repair, any other industry too, yes. like things are moving so quickly that if you do not have a heart to learn, yes. then you will be left behind. Oh, hundred percent. And it's so interesting because in my own industry, I'm doing the same thing. I'm doing an event in April about AI and like chat GPT and its impact on public affairs and how people can endorse it uh, for their work and learn about it and how they can use it. And uh, same kind of thing, right? Like it's, it's dramatically changing communications. And if you want to stay relevant, like you have to learn these types of things and and how to use them. Um, It's important for all industries and especially one like yours. And it is, you're right. It's really is rapidly changing. Yeah. Yeah. As we dive into the rapid fire questions, what's one piece of advice you'd like to leave our listeners with? Uh, the biggest piece of advice is that um, that we really should be focusing on our skill. Really and truly, mm-hmm. our conversation should be about, you know, when it comes to skill trades anyway, about my skill. Mm-hmm. And I do tell a lot of students as well, that uh, female students specifically, that other people will make a, a bigger deal about their gender 
than than they would themselves you know and oftentimes mm. these females come into the schools coming to the classes they we already know we're different like we already know there's no need to point this out right <laughs> and then the additional attention and all this stuff like it's just so not necessary when really we just want to be we you just know quote, unquote, jobs. yeah one of the guys like we just want to be a technician you know so I would I would say this that you know what at the end of the day we are a skilled trade for a reason, you know, and to focus on our skill and whether that's even just being an entrepreneur and even in your own role, like get good at your knowledge and your skill. And then yes. everything else is sort of secondary. Right? I love that so much. I had a pretty senior job in, in my late twenties as a lobbyist. And I, I'm worried about that, right? Like I, I'm, I'm very short. I'm 410. Um, I look younger than I am. And especially then, and um, and people would say to me, but Stephanie, once you start speaking and you're providing advice, you can tell yeah. the experience that you have and what you have to say and, and people listen. And um, it was true, right? So it's like get past what you see when you look at my face. <laughs> and once I start speaking about my expertise, then then they get it right. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you just have to hold on, like you said, to that skill and your knowledge and, and, and what you do know. And unfortunately, sometimes that means working a little bit harder at, at, you know, getting up the ladder or really honing in your expertise, but it's just what it takes sometimes. It is what it takes. And, you know, I think about athletes, right. They want to hit that goal. They want to get to the Olympics, whatever. Okay. You're going to need to work a little harder. Like, like if you really want that goal, you're going to have to work a little harder. Right. And it's not to say that nobody gets a free ride. Like I just, yes. you know, and the other thing too, you, you, when you talked about sort of your experience, I think too, that oftentimes, actually most times I'll pitch this most times, what we say about ourselves is way more powerful than what anybody could ever say about me. That's you know, true. if somebody tells me that I can't do something, I can at least muster up the willpower to, t to you know, show them, prove them right, uh, wrong, right? Um, and for me, though, if I say I can't do something, like, yeah. that's it. I'm not getting off this chair. Like, this right. is not happening, right? <laughs> and so, yeah. For me, it, what we say about ourselves is way more powerful than what other people say, you know, so let them keep talking. That's okay. Yeah. You know, what is it that we're actually saying to ourselves? Oh, that's so valuable. That's really important. It's really important. What is the best rule you ever broke? <laughs> I was wondering if you can ask me this question because I'm like, I don't know. What's the best rule I ever broke? So... I'm probably not the right person to ask because I'm a very like rule abiding person. I always say to people, I, a lot of people actually say that when I ask them this, I'm like, well, it's not like you broke a rule, but you did break a societal norm by your job choice. Totally. I think that, uh, <laughs> I think that, you know, people, uh, not just for females, but also culturally, like it's not really normal to see either. Um, and I guess it's probably, you know, if I was going to answer that with one thing that that might be it. Um, and again, it's uh, if it had not been for my strong conviction to come into this industry, I wouldn't I wouldn't have chosen it. So I'm I'm equally just as, you know, happy to have pursued a traditional route as well. Right. Can you name another woman that inspires you? Um, one woman that really had an impact on me when I was early on in this business journey is Maureen Sabia. And she is a past chair of Canadian Tire Corporation Board. Okay. Um, I think she has a background in law. And I heard her speak one time and she she was really effective in communicating the piece about, you know, being a female in a non-traditional 
role, right? So mm-hmm. being on that board, she's, you know, one of how many females. And she really made the case that, you know, a lot of times it's it's a slippery slope because sometimes when we start getting into this dialogue about, uh, you know, supporting women in trades and that kind of thing, we send a different signal of, well, if it hadn't been for this, you couldn't have achieved this, you know? And sometimes if we emphasize the gender too much, it actually does a disservice for us. Mm-hmm. And one example is, um, you know, I had, so I mentor um, high school women that come, want to come into this trade. And this one student of me of mine told me, and this is a de- large dealership in Toronto. And so she's telling me about how, like, she's talking to her foreman and the foreman says something to the effect of like, oh yeah, you know what? Like, they'll give you a job, no problem. Like they really want to encourage women in the trades and all this stuff. And he, he, and by the way, he's a totally well-meaning guy, right? He is not, not at all sexist, not nothing, right? He's just trying to be supportive in the way that he, he understood how. So she's talking to me about this. And the, the issue with that though, is she doesn't know if she's hired because of her body parts or is she hired because she's actually a skilled tradesperson, Yes, you know? And so this is the, the issue that we have now. Now the females don't really know. They don't have confidence. Hey, am I here because you actually want me to do the job or are you just trying to fill some quota or you're just trying Mm -hmm. to, you know? Yeah. And I feel like if, if leaders or owners of companies like aren't actually committed to, I want you because you're the best or you're good at what you do. um, You're just going, it's, it's going to not be a healthy work environment for you. Right. And, and then it affects the guys, you know, Mm -hmm. because then now the guys are like, well, how come, how come this person, um, it feels unfair then you question right yes like yes mm -hmm. exactly so you're kind of almost to your point pitting each other right and it's not helpful so sometimes I find when we have too much of this dialogue uh it really isn't helpful to the situation you know Mm -hmm. so that's something that she had um you know talked a lot about when I was listening to her and it really just changed my mind not changed my mind it really just uh she was really good at sort of putting into words what had already felt Mm -hmm. um And it just encouraged me that even more so it's about my skill, even more so it's about what I can bring to the company, you know? Mm -hmm. Is there a podcast you're loving right now? (laughs) No, not a podcast. You know, I'm not totally fine. I actually find a significant amount of people that I have on don't listen to them and that's totally fine. Yeah. I don't (laughs) listen to podcasts. Tell us about a book that made you wiser. This, okay. I really do love this book. It's called Never Split the Difference and it's by Chris Voss. And if anybody's interested in the art of negotiation or just even communication skills, because I always, when people say negotiation, they're thinking like, a lot of times people think like, um, I don't know, corporate negotiations or something, you know, big. And I'm like, I negotiate with my kids all the time. Like, <laughs> you know, yes. what time are we going to bed tonight? What time are, when are we doing the homework? You know, so I'm negotiating yes. all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. And so anyways, this book, I love it. He's a former um, FBI hostage negotiator. Yes, and he, I have that he, book. Yeah, You're reminding he just has me a, I need to read it. <laughs> it's so good. He just has such a different perspective, right? Because in his world, you can never split the difference, right? I mean, if we're negotiating on a, buying a car, let's say you want to sell it to me for 8,000 bucks, I only want to spend 6,000. You know, sometimes negotiations go like, okay, let's meet in the middle 7,000 and, you know, call it a day. Well, in his business, you know, there's never a negotiation of like, okay, you've got 10 hostages, you know what, give me five, you keep five, <laughs> and then we'll go home, you know, yeah, like, yeah. it's all or nothing. And so his perspective of how to communicate with somebody um, is, is really interesting, just very different. So I, that, Mm -hmm. that book, um, really helped me. 
Mm-hmm. I want to reinforce to you when we talk about communication or negotiation, like you said, it, there's so many different aspects, whether you're a parent, whether you're having salary negotiations, whether you want to take on a big project, but they're not increasing your salary. Like there's just so many areas where that type of information is is valuable. I listened to a podcast called, I think it's negotiation. Uh, anyways, it's something about negotiation and it's with... um. I'll try and remember to show, put it in the show notes, but it's uh, LinkedIn, I think, sponsors it. Um, and it's quite good, too, and talks about um, negotiation in, in different scenarios. And uh, I've just been wanting to – one of my goals this year was to increase my knowledge on negotiations. So that's one of the things I've been doing is picking up some podcasts while I'm doing things to uh, try and increase my skill. Yeah, it is. it really is, like you said, about communication. At the end of the day, you know, I feel like sometimes, like I said, negotiation is such a formal term. <laughs> Right. But really communication is what it's about. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, so much so. And and a lot of listening. I can give that yes. advice as a lobbyist. You have to do a lot of listening. It's not just about <laughs> what you want to tell people to do. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, even as a lobbyist, there's lots of negotiation that goes on there. Yes, right? very much. Well, thank yeah. you so much, Emily, for being on the show. It was fantastic to have your time and expertise. And uh, I'm sure women will take away lots of wisdom for their lives. So thank you for your time. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. Thank you for listening to Women Don't Do That. I hope you feel inspired to do whatever it is you think you can't do. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Stay connected on Twitter and Instagram at Women Don't Do That. I would love to have you join the conversation, so make sure you join our next Instagram Live. Find all our podcast and blog content at womendontdothat.com. Join me next time.